Thanks for tuning in to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast, where we talk about your body, how it moves, and empowering you with the knowledge to manage and treat your pain or discomfort. You will also get an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at a successful private practice. You have the questions, and we have the answers. Now let's get moving. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Direct Access to Oxford Physical Therapy podcast. I'm your host, Matt. And your co-host, Allie. And we have an esteemed special guest today, <laughs> Dr. Rob Pettit. Rob, you want to introduce yourself to the listeners? Thanks for having me today, Matt. I'm very excited to be here. Um, just to go into a little bit of background about myself, um, from Cincinnati, Ohio, originally. Awesome. Uh, actually met you, I think, 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, we were trying so. to figure that out because this is not the first time we've met, even though it's your first appearance on the podcast. It, yeah. But we go back a ways, don't we? We do. It's actually a pretty fascinating story, I think. Yeah. I, I would love to hear it, if you don't mind. <laughs> Certainly. We can go into some details with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell the listeners. Um, so I've been through my fair share of orthopedic problems in the past, um, starting with juvenile osteochondritis desiccans when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, had some surgeries for that, and uh, things went well until in college I actually had some more issues where... Uh, my alignment was off um, a little bit, and I had some cartilage defects in my knee, which would be similar to having a pothole in a road Yeah, um, where uh, there's various ways of addressing it, um, but I actually had surgeries to fill in the pothole with my own cartilage cells. Um, it was kind of a novel procedure at the time, um, and then also had some surgeries to realign uh, my knees as well to help protect the reconstruction of those potholes. Um, and so that's where Oxford and Matt specifically comes into play where as I was recovering from those surgeries, uh, I had fantastic care, um, with physical therapy to kind of get me back on my feet, help with range of motion, um, and start putting weight on it again, uh, and kind of just have a normal functioning knee. So Matt and I actually, work together um, yeah. myself as a patient and yeah I'll let you tell a little bit of your perspective on that, <laughs> it's not well, uncommon that Matt has one of his past patients on this yeah podcast. I know it's funny you know I mean Rob's great and super intelligent and uh, esteemed professional but you know even more important than Rob is Rob's mom and we were talking oh. earlier like I just remember Rob's mom is one of the most caring loving people I've met in like over 20 years of doing this she was I just remember her coming in with Rob and took great care of him. And I just asked him earlier, how's your, how's your mom doing? But yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I, it stuck out to me because you were so positive in the recovery process and, you know, you were so, you had had so many surgeries and so much intervention at a young age, it would be easy to be kind of like sour in the process and you were never that way. And I worked hard and had great outcome and it was fun. I mean, you know, even though like, sure it wasn't fun for you it yeah. was enjoyable to spend time working together yeah i mean a uh, couple hours a week it's always yeah. fun to come hang out and, exactly you know That's... we always got along well and yeah Aww. talk about more things than just you know knees and exactly therapy and everything so that, that made, was just that secondary we you know we got some stuff done but we were just kind of really hanging exactly. out exactly <laughs> i mean there's plenty of good food around in the office there too exactly so, always um, some hidden benefits there being able to grab lunch <laughs> yeah that sort of thing well shout out so. to rob's mom that's right yes. I mean, she was 
a great motivator still yeah. is. Obviously. Yeah, so. that's fantastic. Cute yeah. little insert about your guys's past. Did you know that you were going to be, you know, here one day on our podcast as a doctor <laughs> after receiving physical therapy from Matt? That was always my goal was to oh. be sitting in this chair with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> How the tables have turned. Exactly. Matt said that it, the only way I could get into this seat would actually was to go to med school and then <laughs> do an orthopedic surgery residency. Get your doctor. Yeah. So, uh, that's awesome. Thankfully, it paid off. Well, we're not so, only here to talk about your guys's past, but you guys have something pretty cool to share yeah. with our with our listeners. Yeah. So, um, well, before we dive into like your current specialty, I'm curious. Tell us about your training up to this point. I know it's extensive, residency, fellowship. Give us a little bit of background. Sure. You know, because patient Rob was over a decade ago. <laughs> You've been busy since then. So bring our listeners up to speed. Sure. So patient Rob, as you were alluding to, was um, back in undergrad at Ohio State. Yeah. Um, that was pre-med. I'd always planned and hoped to go to uh, medical school. Yeah. With hopes to do orthopedic surgery. Um, I was lucky enough to get into University of Cincinnati Medical School. Um, and then uh, upon completing training there, I went to Ohio State for mm-hmm. orthopedic surgery residency. Uh, I had a great time there, um, a lot of great people to work with and uh, learned a lot. Um, and that's five years of just kind of general orthopedics. You rotate through, yeah. you uh, do knee and hip um, replacements, mm-hmm. do some trauma, patients that have broken bones, learn how to fix those. Sports medicine where you're doing arthroscopy, um, which is minimally invasive surgery for mostly knees and shoulders, um, ACLs, rotator cuffs, those sort of things hand surgery and spine, some other things too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get the whole general training there. And then from there, I wanted to focus a little bit more on um, shoulder and knee, uh, minimally invasive techniques, but also uh, reconstruction or joint replacement. So I did a fellowship in Boston okay, um, in sports medicine and reconstruction where uh, we did a lot of um, shoulder and knee arthroscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, so fixed a lot of ACLs, learned a lot of the cutting edge techniques of um, cartilage uh, repair and replacement. Um, also rotator cuff repair, some yeah. of the other cutting edge things in the shoulder. Um, in the process there, we also got to take care of uh, several sports teams. That's exciting. Most notably would be the Boston Celtics. Whoa. Um, so that was kind of cool being in That's the locker so cool. room. Yeah. Uh, got to, you know, mingle with them for sure um and take care of injuries too so yeah great experience out in boston and then uh was lucky enough to join beacon uh, and come back here now with my uh with my family so fantastic and um you know you mentioned you wanted to focus in minimally invasive techniques knee and shoulder Mm -hmm. you mentioned in residency you got to see a ton of stuff Mm -hmm. what made you want to zero in on knee shoulder minimally invasive techniques kind of going back to my past with um the things that I experienced as a patient. Yeah. I, I always if that wanted was a part of it. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by the basic science of sure. cartilage and injuries and how to treat them. Yeah. Specifically in the knee. Um, so that's always been a focus. And then I'll, I've always wanted to do basically everything in the knee and everything in the shoulder. So yeah, whether it's uh, a small sprain that doesn't need surgery versus a big reconstructive surgery or a knee replacement. Right. I've always um, looked into ways to be able to treat all of those things. 
I think we mentioned that in our last episode where we thought a lot in common with our physical therapist. They've also kind of experienced that kind of pain, but now they treat it. Exactly. And I think empathy is so important in this profession. And, um, you know, I think that's going to make you fantastic surgeon and physician just having been been through things, you know. I I do think it gives me a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. um, You know, I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of, oh, well, it's just a month or so that right. a, a patient or an athlete is is missing from the season. But to that athlete, to that patient, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah, they're right. counting the hours. They're yeah. counting the hours. Or even, you know, for patients that are a little bit more seasoned, if they're not able to pick up their kids or their grandkids sure. and do activities uh, that they love doing, I mean, yeah. that takes a big toll. So for I sure. think uh, I'm equipped to be able to help patients maneuver through those things, too. Tell our listeners just a little bit. You mentioned cartilage, and you were fascinated about the science of cartilage. Mm-hmm. And just talk a little bit about what is so different and difficult about cartilage injuries versus a broken bone. So a broken bone, first and foremost, you see it on the X-ray, and most of the orthopedic surgeons, I would say, have and physical therapists who have kind of an engineering sort of mind. You see how right. it needs to go back together, and then you yeah. find a way to fix it. Right. And then you rely on that fixation, but a little bit of the patient's own biology to, to heal that as well. However, with cartilage, it's, you know, you're, you might have a pothole that you can fill in, but you have to be very cognizant of what you're filling it in with. Right. And in what structure. So you could, you could fill it in with anything, but are, are those, that filler, those cells that you're putting in or whatever you're putting in, is that going to create something similar to hyaline cartilage, which is right. the type of cartilage that lines your joints. Yeah. So trying to find what works best for that, I think, is very fascinating. So not only what cell you want to put in there, but also what scaffold or what structure that those cells are going to sit in. And you can get as complex with it as you want, but there's just so many different avenues and so many different things to think about. And each patient is different, too, with the alignment of their knee, and there's just a lot of sure. factors that I think is – it creates complexity, but also I think that that's very interesting. And you mentioned back when you personally had your surgery, that at that time was a very new technique. It's gained a little bit more popularity, but there's this kind of subset of patients that had injury 15, 20, 30 years ago. They didn't really have anything to do for that injury, right? So um, the procedure that I was referring to is autologous chondrocyte implantation, which is a what? super <laughs> mouthful, doctor like... mouthful word, yeah. but... It's basically taking a sample of the patient's own cartilage cells and you send it off to a lab and they grow those cells mm-hmm. and then you put them into the defect. You then cover that defect or put uh, a top over it. At that time, it was with pig. No. I know. Don't. <laughs> basically you would cover it up with certain things that we don't use anymore, but it wasn't the best option. Sure. And you would have to suture it in with very small suture. It was very meticulous, took a long time. Mm -hmm. That was kind of what we call the first generation. Yeah. Um, Since then, cartilage has evolved um, where it's much simpler, where you can actually use glue Mm -hmm. to let that uh, fill in. Got to start somewhere, right? (laughs) You got to start somewhere. So even just in, you know, those 15 years since I've had it, we've come a long way. And it will continue to evolve, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be tech. definitely the cutting edge of, of medicine, uh, especially of orthopedic medicine. 
But, you know, what kind of we're here to talk about what I was leading into is when those things fail and the joints left with no cartilage, there's kind of an end game of, okay, all we have now left to do is replace the joint, right? Certainly. Um, and some of the techniques that, that you bring to the table when you're trained in are a little bit more advanced with robotic knee replacement. So why don't you give us a little bit of information about that? Certainly. So uh, what you're referring to would be uh, knee replacement. And you can do, most people when they think of knee replacement as a total knee. Mm -hmm. So that's when you're replacing um, each compartment of the joint. So yeah. when we think about knees, there's the medial compartment, the lateral compartment, and then the patellofemoral joint. But basically the inside part of the knee, the outside, and then the portion that's behind the kneecap. Right. Uh, so a total knee addresses all of those. Versus if you do a uni knee, meaning that you're only re replacing one compartment, or a patellofemoral replacement, meaning that you're replacing the portion behind the kneecap. Um, but that's kind of how I first was introduced into robotics is doing just the partial knees, mm -hmm. where you're just doing the inside part or the outside part or the patellofemoral joint. And I think the draw of the robot in that regard is that it gives you a preoperative plan and then it is very helpful in being precise in the cuts when you're doing that so that you can get a very well-balanced knee, um, which can be challenging when you're only doing a portion of the knee. Right. So I think that's the first um, real big breakthrough with robotics was that it could really help you do a partial knee. Yeah, because the outcome really is maximized by customizing the fit to the patient, right? Correct. And so, you know, if you if patients think about, um, you know, a pair of shoes or a shirt, you know, you have off-the-shelf sizes versus one that would be custom fit to you, it's just going to fit you so much better. And you think about the mechanics of a joint and how that works. I mean, that's just a game changer, right? I think so. Yeah. And there's – so you talk about customization. You can do patient-specific implants. So that's mm -hmm. where you are – taking the shirt or the implant yep. and customizing it to the patient versus with the robot, it is customized placement. Right. So you're being more exact with exactly how you're preparing the bone to put that implant on. Yeah. There. That's crazy. Are there patients that inherently, um, for whatever reason, aren't candidates or don't qualify for this kind of robotic assisted replacement? Or is this kind of becoming your gold standard if you're, if you're looking at a knee replacement? So, um, for the partial knee replacement, there's definitely kind of tighter indications for sure. certain patients. But for the total knee, when we do total knees with robots, I would say that's becoming the gold standard in my practice. Yeah. Um, for several reasons. A, the preoperative planning that we talked about before, like having mm -hmm. the plan ahead of time, and we can really customize how we're going to do the bony preparation and how we're going to uh, do the cuts during surgery for that patient. Mm hmm Furthermore, the conventional way of doing knee replacements has always been to use jigs that we use, and they work very well, but you typically have to instrument the inside of the bone. So you have to put um, hardware that will be removed eventually into the femur and then oftentimes in the tibia as well, which is fairly invasive. Right. Um, so that means more post-operative soreness, bruising, pain type in, things? In my experience, I've seen that yeah. uh, those patients tend to have a little bit more uh, pain post-operatively. Okay. 
in my hands also i think that the robot allows me to do a little bit less invasive as far as the soft tissue exposure right because you don't have to put those jigs on as makes well. sense so I, I think it's less invasive yeah um you get a good preoperative plan but then also you get feedback during the surgery of the balancing of the knee okay so once you have made all the cuts and prepared the bone you put the trials in and you can manipulate the knee and see exactly how good the fit is right there you're looking at the screen it's giving you feedback bit of a test run yeah exactly yeah which i think is a game changer this all just sounds so like beneficial and like why wouldn't someone choose this do you ever get anyone in like a patient that's just like so adverse to a robot doing their surgery and what would you tell them so I've never had that. I do get questions of, well, how much am I involved versus right. is a robot okay. doing my surgery? Yeah. <laughs> and the Are you is, watching the robot do yeah, the surgery? So, so it's, I think a better way to describe it is it's, it's a robotic arm that I'm controlling. So okay. the, the, the robot isn't making any decisions right. or anything. The preoperative plan is, is programmed into the robot. And all the robot is, it's essentially a sterile arm that comes into the field that I'm holding. Yep. And I press the trigger and guide it the entire time during the surgery. And you're, I'm looking at a screen getting direct feedback of how those cuts are going. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so, so your job is still okay. You're not going to be replaced by a robot any time I'm soon. I'm not planning on being replaced. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're secure. <laughs> Now, when you mentioned the preoperative planning, um, is there any kind of uh, special testing preoperatively that you like to have for patients um, to have that plan in place? So one of the downsides uh, that people, you ask why people wouldn't want to do, right. the one is that you do require a CT scan ahead mm-hmm. of time. So mm-hmm. uh, there is a downside of radiation with that cost uh, and time as yeah. well. Um, but to me, the benefits outweigh Right. Uh, the negatives there. So, yeah, you do need a CT scan, and then that goes off to um, the folks who actually construct the plan, yep. and then we talk about it. Makes sense. And um, what's that kind of timeline look like from preoperative planning? Is there, you know, is this sent over the course of days or weeks, or just describe that a little so bit? So we like to have the CT scan at least two weeks ahead of the surgery. Okay. So typically the workflow is that when a patient comes in and we decide together that surgery, a, a total knee or a partial knee is the right mm-hmm. option for them, we will work with uh, the hospital that they're going to have it at mm-hmm. and get a, a surgery date. With that, we will also schedule the CT scan at least two weeks ahead of time. Um, once that CT scan is done, then the planning process goes into effect. And it's good for eight weeks. Typically. Okay. Sometimes even more, but we like to say eight weeks is how. Yeah, the, so if you had to delay surgery for some reason exactly. or whatnot, or if you were on the fence, you'd want to wait and be sure you were within an eight-week window from planning to surgery. Correct. Sometimes we that is flexible. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the guideline. Makes sense. What kind of longevity or life expectancy are you seeing with these robotic knee replacements? And is that change over conventional knee replacements because of fit or? To my knowledge, I don't think there's any data that says um, that there is a more longevity. Right yeah. And there's still a lot of data coming out sure. looking at, you know, studies of the robots versus conventional. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I would quote the same longevity for a robot versus conventional, which would be anywhere from 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Nice. And the, the unilateral knee, so if we're back to that partial replacement, mm-hmm. do you end up finding that most patients have a total knee replacement at some point? Or is this uni replacement enough for some patients and that's all that they need? I think that's all about indications. So my approach to the partial knee Mm -hmm. is hopefully that that would be the only surgery that they would need. Yeah. Um, And you have to scrutinize the MRI and really um, look at imaging and make sure that ahead of time that they don't have much wear in the other parts of the knee. Makes sense. If there is and they're younger and I think that it's still the right call, then we talk about how, hey, there's a chance, a fairly good chance that we'll have to do another one. Yeah. Uh, but this is gonna give you a lot of mileage prior to that. Sure. Well, I think it's awesome how you're pushing the envelope and, you know, I mean, knee replacement is probably one of the first orthopedic surgeries really to be pioneered. I think it'd be easy to rest and say, well, yeah, we got knee replacement figured out, but like, you know, pushing the envelope forward, trying to make the outcome even better for the patient. I just think that's really cool. I think that's a great part of medicine. And it's happy for you to make those advancements. Well, I, I think that's twofold. Not only – so the implants and the the way that we do the surgery has been fairly – it's pretty much been the same for the past 30, 50 years. Right. A lot of great implant companies with our, a lot of great implants. The, the robotics, I do think, changes the way that we put them in. But I think what's also been a huge part of growth recently is the way that we treat the patients beforehand and after with right. um, rehabilitation, um, pain control, and just yeah. the whole experience of a knee replacement. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we've done prior episodes about prehab and about people getting ready with therapy for their knee replacement. And um, is that something that you routinely see? difference in patients and their post-op outcomes as far as what kind of strength and motion, et cetera, they're going into surgery with. I I think it can only be beneficial to um, get as much motion as you can Mm -hmm. uh, before surgery and also strength. Yeah. But I I also think it sets a tone for the patient. So if they're used to doing these exercises and used to um, strengthening and stretching, I think it's only going to set them up for success for afterwards to continue to do those things. I think that's great advice. Uh, any other wisdom you want to bestow on our, our listeners? I here, have Dr. a question. Pettit? Yeah, fire away, Allie. It might be a long question. I was going to say a quick question. But how did you get introduced to robotics, and how long did it take you to get used to that? Was that something that you, like, set out for school with, or was that something that you were introduced after you were already in the field? So I was introduced to it during residency, and as I alluded to before, it was for a partial knee at first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was in my second year of residency, um, and I was just fascinated. I thought yeah. it was so cool. Yeah. Um, it has come a long way since then. And I, after that, I tried to seek as many of them out as possible. Yeah. Um, once I was in fellowship, uh, they did a lot of them, um, at New England Baptist hospital. So I sought those out as well. Mm-hmm. The learning curve, believe it or not, is not that high. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very similar to conventional, arthroplasty as far as the way that you're cutting and that sort of thing so okay. yeah it didn't take too long to nice. pick up on honestly. well not for a, not for someone like not for someone. <laughs> I, mean, so I appreciate that technologically advanced man fast learner yeah <laughs> uh, 
You're too kind. Do you, <laughs> do you work with one, ro- like, I don't know if you say one robot or like one system. Is it just the Are same you saying, one do you I have used? like a relationship with the, the <laughs> well, robot? Well, you like... give a monogamous relationship with your robot. No. Is it just one, like, I don't know. Is it a machine? I don't know what you call it. Um, so it depends on which hospital. So over, I do them at Christ and also at St. Elizabeth's. Okay. Um, so I work with. Okay. I was going to ask if you named too. it. But... <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I mean, it's technically called, the one that I work with is called the Mako robot is, oh. um, is with Stryker. Um, orthopedics. So I guess I have to give them a plug, but yeah. yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, um, once again, just tell our listeners how they can find you if they're looking for this kind of help. Any questions about certainly. Uh, So right now my offices are in Erlanger. Uh So Beacon Orthopedics at Erlanger, Crestview, and then also uh, Cincinnati sports club in Hyde park. Um, We are opening a new location in Fort Thomas, Mm -hmm. which should be opening up in the beginning of the year. Awesome. Fantastic. There a lot too. Cross your fingers. So. Awesome. <laughs> well, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, congratulations on all your success. It's been great to uh, have this podcast and just fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Great to see you again. I appreciate having me on. Yeah. yeah. No problem. And Look for those listeners out there who yeah. are a little bit afraid of robots, hopefully this changed your mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. They're not taking over our jobs. But <laughs> thank you, Dr. Pettit. And I really appreciate you being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks a lot. See you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at OxfordPhysicalTherapy.com. And you can also find us on our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. Remember, you do not need a doctor's referral to receive physical therapy in the state of Ohio and Kentucky, where we offer double the care for less than half the cost. You can schedule appointments online or stop into any center for a free screen, what we like to call a bee visit. Please write a review, send us a comment or message on our social media platforms. And until next time, keep it moving.